But anyway, what happened is that I went into this patient's room and this is a woman that had diabetes. She's probably, I would say late 50s. Um, and I asked her, and she was actually, she was about to lose her eyesight. She was about to have a foot amputated. And so I asked her, has anyone ever given you diabetes education before? No, like nobody had ever given them nutrition education. Welcome back to another episode of the Plant-Based DFW podcast show with Dr. Riz and Maya, where we discuss topics related to lifestyle medicine. Today, my guest is Lily Correa. She's a registered dietitian that works at Bellevue Hospital with Dr. Michelle McMacken's team. We will learn in this episode about her Peruvian background and her Seventh-day Adventist background and how this basically led her to become a plant-based dietitian. Once she had her college degree, she decided she wanted to study at Loma Linda University and then eventually moved on to work at Kaiser Permanente um, and has some experience there with Dr. Columbus Batiste. Eventually, she moves to New York uh, to work at Bellevue and then also now has collaborated with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in providing this content in Spanish. At the time that I interviewed her, she was preparing to go on Chef AJ's show. So I will link that conversation to this video. So look at the cards for that. And I also have this conversation in Spanish. So make sure to look for that if you're interested. I hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome, Lily. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you for making the time because I can see that you're staying pretty busy. Yeah. October has been a great, great month. Are you in New York? I am. As you know, I recently, not long ago, I interviewed Chris Ann Polito Muller, and you guys sort of worked together in the same area. And she had spoken so nicely about you before I even really knew about you. She told me that you spoke Spanish, that you work closely with her in terms of um, working with patients on helping them get um, started on a plant-based diet. So I'm curious as to how you do that. But I'm also curious as uh, to know, are you taking any clients so currently, I'm actually just working on my license for New York State. Uh, I, I moved here from California, and I don't have a, a, a license in order to have individual clients for New York State, but I have begun the process. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm hoping to, in the next few months, um, start to taking a couple of individual patients. Any idea how long uh, licensing takes for per state or anything like that? You know, this is the first time I've ever been licensed in this state. California doesn't require uh, a license to practice just the, the United States board certified, of course, you know, right. credentials that I have and that, you know, it suffices for practice in California. Um, but some states do require an additional license. And I heard uh, through some physicians that it's becoming becoming a little easier for them to be licensed to practice telemedicine in various states because there's such a demand now for people being available virtually like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I first saw you in the Spanish version immersion program by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And I saw you do a food demo and you did a short demo with Gerardo. Okay. I did. I did. That's tofu ceviche. That's right. Because of PCRM, I learned about you and then saw you, of course, speaking in Spanish. And I thought, I don't know a single registered dietitian in my area that speaks Spanish. Oh, my God, you're a tremendous resource. So, um, well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself, Lili. You mentioned that you're from Peru. Yes. So my family is, is all from Peru. Um, I was born actually here in New York in Elmhurst Hospital. 
Wow. It's cool. Yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> it's cool because it's in the same system as the hospital I currently work for. Uh, and, and, but I was raised in Peru, in Lima. So when I was nine months old, my brothers and I, you know, my family moved to, uh, back to Peru, Lima. And so I was raised there till I was about eight and then moved back to New York. So my first language is Spanish. And I always tell people that also my heart is very Peruvian. Mas peruano que la papa. So <laughs> more Peruvian than the potato because that's where it comes from. It's beautiful to take such pride where you, of where you come from. I heard you reference the quinoa. It's like gold. Oh, el oro de los Incas. The gold of the Incas. Yes. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story about quinoa, actually. When I was growing up, my uncle, um, he used to raise chickens and canaries. And the chicken feed was before, so before quinoa was um, popular in the city, because that's an Andean food, right? So in Peru, we have three different regions. We have the, the jungle region, with the Amazon and all that. We have the Andean region with where Machu Picchu is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have the coastal region, which is where the city of Lima is and where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so in the, in the city area, quinoa, you know, was more known as like bird feed, you know, <laughs> the chicken feed. So I, you know, my uncle would make quinoa every day and feed the chickens quinoa. And so <laughs> this is when I was growing up. And now, of course, it's like this, it's blow up as a superfood and it's you know it's just so it's just such an interesting association you know because initially for example my family was like ooh i don't know about this quinoa you know because the chickens are eating it so, yeah i have a funny story about quinoa too so my mother came down and i was teaching her how to um you know eat plant-based and so i made the mistake of teaching her about quinoa and chia seeds at the same time oh <laughs> so and actually, it was after we went to DC for the Barnard Medical Center when they had a two day intensive program. Oh, okay. uh, it was earlier this year in January. So we went to that. And so I said, Mom, you know, let's go ahead and replicate some of the things. Remember the chia seeds, you can soak them in like almond milk overnight and have sort of like a breakfast. So we did that. And then later, I taught her how to do the quinoa, which you use more like a grain. So I thought I had made that clear. But I keep my things, my foods in jars like a lot of people do. And then one day I wake up and she's like, Mija, the the seeds are not growing. They're not expanding. I say, Mom, those are quinoa seeds. <laughs> Why is she, she was soaking the quinoa in milk. <laughs> There's white chia, so. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so, so funny. It is so funny. So now, having grown up in New York, then it must have been easy for you to maintain both languages. Yes. So when I first came over here, I knew the colors and the numbers in English. Um, so not really a lot of English, but I was put into a full immersion classroom in elementary school, PS 89, I still remember. And <laughs> so I learned English in about six months because it was like a survival situation where I was like, okay, I need to know how to communicate here. And, you know, also when you are, are at that age, you, you learn a language very quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. the window for second language acquisition, uh, I, used to, I studied English. It was actually my first uh, career. I was an English teacher. And so I would study linguistics, and I know that that window for second language acquisition happens around, you know, until about the age of 12. I too came around that age and I don't remember learning. My mom just said we, we were speaking. But uh, did you at the time sort of still feel like you were embracing 
your Peruvian culture, despite the fact that you were growing in New York? Yeah, you know, it was really tough. Um, certainly a shock. I mean, Lima's a city and so is New York, but uh, you know, very different. Um, and my, when I grew up there, my, my grandparents raised me uh, in Lima. And yeah, it was just such a, such a different feel, like coming over here and not knowing the language. But I mean, my parents, uh, my, my dad had his sisters here. And so we certainly, we would get together for the 28 de Julio, which is 28th of July is our Independence Day. So we would still do stuff with the Peruvian community because my parents were, worked really hard at maintaining our, our roots. So then which came first, being a dietitian or being vegan? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> So I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Actually, my grandpa was a pastor. So in Lima, I grew up, and I like to say this, uh, I grew up in the church, literally, because we lived in the third floor. So, <laughs> my yeah, so my grandfather was a pastor of our church. And for the Seventh-day Adventist religion, you know, as you might know, it's a vegetarian, you know, the health, the health message or the health recommendations to follow a vegetarian diet. So my grandpa did follow a vegetarian diet. The rest of us did not. So, but I grew up watching him, you know, and I grew up hearing about the health message and knowing about it. Um, so when I was teaching English still, I actually ended up teaching at an Adventist university in Michigan for a year. And that's where I decided to try being vegetarian. So I was vegetarian first um, and it was pretty easy. I'd always wondered about it being vegetarian because I did go to a Seventh-day Adventist university for college and I actually played volleyball and I played during a time when vegetarian diets for, for athletic performance were, were looked down upon, you know, um, in a way that it was like inferior. Mm -hmm. So, so here I was playing volleyball and also around the, the basketball teams, the guys and the girls. And I would watch all these guys who grew up eating vegetarian, a vegetarian diet. And for me, they were just as strong. They were just as fast, you know, and just as good as the omnivore counterparts. So, you know, that, that just, all that stuff just made me wonder, like, you know, I'd hear all these things, but I would wonder, like, hmm. When I went to Andrews University, I landed with, in a group of friends who half of, half of the group was already vegetarian. And we would hang out every weekend. So I decided if I'm ever going to try this vegetarian thing, this is the time because they got the recipes, they know how to cook, you know, and so this is good. So that's where I decided to, you know, give, give the vegetarian lifestyle a shot. And it was funny, actually, because there was 12 of us in the group. And one night, one of us was leaving the state and we decided to do a goodbye dinner at Chili's. And so unbeknownst to the rest of us in the group, you know, those of us who were not plant-based yet or vegetarian yet, right? Uh, decided that we were going to give it a shot. So we all ordered the black bean burger at Chili's. <laughs> and that was my first vegetarian meal out. I would, you know, and it was just funny because we all surprised each other. Like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, everybody's ordering the black bean burger. So that night, you know, Chili's ran out of black bean burgers. <laughs> and we all decided to give vegetarianism a shot. Awesome. And then you stayed on that path? Or, or did you kind of go back to eating some animal products? No, so after becoming vegetarian, I actually, during that year in Michigan is where I decided to, uh, to enroll in Loma Linda and become a dietitian. Oh, my goodness. That was the path of that whole thing because during that year, it was crazy, you know, because during that year, I, I actually, as a faculty benefit, you'll, you get a free class. So I decided to take this nutrition class, you know, because I'd always been interested in it. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me check this out. 
And I took a course, Dr. Peter Privis. Uh, I loved it. I fell in love with nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is very interesting. You know? <laughs> and, so, and so it was one of those like life realizations where I realized that, you know, I love teaching, right? And I've, I really enjoyed teaching English. And I really liked it a lot, but I didn't love it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was still at a place where I was either going to go for a PhD in English or I could go back to school and do a different, <laughs> a different thing. And, you know, yeah. um, with a lot of prayer around it, I decided to go for Loma Linda. And that's where I knew I wanted to go because I was interested in vegetarian diets right away. So that's the only place that I thought about. Yeah. What year was that when you were at, at Loma Linda? At Loma Linda, I, I moved out there uh, at 2012, at the beginning of 2012. So I, I hadn't even been accepted or anything. I just like packed my bags and, and drove down there. And I said, this is where, this is where I'm going to go. Was Dr. Gregor in that area yet um, around your time? You know, I didn't, I hadn't heard of him yet. I was very, very new to all the, you know, the plant-based world. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hadn't even heard about him. I just, I moved out there knowing that I wanted to study nutrition. Um, and so I did all my prereqs, you know, during those first six months and then finally got accepted into the program in, okay. in June of 2012. It's amazing because it sounds like you were set up from the get go by being a seventh day Adventist and then moving to Loma Linda and you're like, I'm home. <laughs> I'm back. It came back full circle, you know? Did you attend the seventh day Adventist church there in, in the Loma Linda area? Yes, yes. It just really felt, you know, I'm a very big believer in, in God, just guiding my whole trajectory of my career. You know, I've always been very like, okay, so where do I go? Yeah. And it's always been, you know, the right place. So, yes. yeah, and I'm very, very happy with this choice, you know, of becoming a dietitian. I, I wake up and love it every day. I love what I do. I can see the educator in you because when I saw your presentation and how you explain things and I thought that's how a teacher would teach someone like what are the steps towards uh, incorporating more plant-based foods and you made it so practical. I think that was the first thing I might have told you like I really like your presentation and because you're a good teacher in that way. So what happened next like after uh, you finish your nutrition studies there in Loma Linda? So after I finished my nutrition studies, I actually was hired into uh, Kaiser Permanente. I did a rotation there. Um, so that was the interesting part about it is that I actually started out in dietetic school wanting to be a sports dietitian because, you know, I had played volleyball, high school and college. And, you know, I was really into sports and the health aspect of all that, you know, performance nutrition. Um, but then as often happens, I went into all my different rotations, so clinical, outpatient, um, and I did a sports nutrition uh, rotation. But when I went to Kaiser Permanente, I did outpatient. It was something that I never had even thought about. Like, it wasn't even my field of vision because I was so focused on this is what I want to do, you know. But when I got there, I mean, they had a full kitchen, you know, like a kitchen with video cameras, you know. So they were doing cooking demos, 100% plant-based, whole food plant-based. Um, it was... Uh, they were doing education, which I loved, in classrooms. They were doing one-on-one consults. So I said, this, is, this has, like, everything that I love, everything, you know, including the, the kitchen part of it. Because that's the part where, you know, you can tell people uh, this is, you know, this is what you should be eating. But it's a whole other world to make it with them, to make it, you know, have them taste it with you. 
you know, and show them how easy it is. So that's like that piece, you know, that was always missing. And yeah, so it was so cool because right after I graduated, you know, I got the I got the call um, that they wanted to to hire me. So in that dietitian training, I hear this sometimes from dietitians that are plant based and then enter a program. Sometimes they still have to face some of the courses that kind of push meats and other things like that. But in your program, was it focused on whole foods? It's plant centric, uh, it's vegetarian. So there's definitely okay. still the inclusion of, of dairy foods um, in the cafeteria foods and the teaching, you know, and all that stuff. So are some of the other programs different from what you saw in La Melinda then? Yeah, you know, and one of the one of the things that I or one of the times where I could tell that we had, um, as far as being La Melinda students, that we had um, a more in-depth knowledge of, of vegetarian nutrition um, was highlighted when three of us went to a sports nutrition conference and they were the, the professor who was teaching this course was, started asking dietitians, a room full of dietitians, asking them about, asking us about uh, sources for calcium. And of course, the first thing that they said was dairy. And we all looked at each other and we were like, well, I mean, there's all of these other different things and we started naming them. And it was just one of those things where you could tell in the room that there wasn't that, you know, uh, as much of that in-depth um, exposure. It definitely shows that they lacked that information. And how long did you stay with uh, Kaiser Permanente? I was there for about three years, and I was fortunate enough to be able to teach uh, in the kitchen with Dr. Columbus Batiste. He okay. is, yeah, I know. He, <laughs> so it was Heidi um, was my RD partner in crime there, and we would do uh, that, that doc and dietitian series. You know, I was kind of her, her sous chef. But we would do the presentations together and then he would come in and it was like the most popular, of course, uh, <laughs> cooking demos that we had because he, he would come and do it with us once a month. Um, and the other times, you know, Heidi and I would do our own demos or I would do some Spanish ones with um, my other partner in crime, Juana. And, you know, so we had all of these other, other things going on and there would be about 20 to 30 people in attendance. So it's a pretty good number for cooking for a whole food plant-based kitchen mm -hmm. entirely. Um, <laughs> But on the nights that Dr. Batiste would come in, I mean, the place would sell out. <laughs> it would be, of course, you know, it was Dr. Batiste, so it would be like in the 50s or 60s. How did you guys recruit the participants or the attendees for these classes, especially the ones that were Spanish speakers? Okay, so this was the, the best thing that happened with, the, with Juana and I, um, my other RD, who's also, who's also actually a graduate of Loma Linda. Um, we created a whole Spanish curriculum to, to be able to do uh, classes. Mm -hmm. um, and we were looking at that regresando a tus raíces theme, like going back to your roots, eating how your grandparents ate. Um, so we, at Kaiser, we were running a lot of classes already for weight management called this Healthy Balance Program. And so from there, um, we would be inviting patients to the cooking demos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From there, and also we would be advertising it in our webpage, and you know people could bring guests as well. So if you were in the class, you could bring someone, you know. So yeah. through these programs, did you guys gather any data to see, you know, before and after, and make comparisons about how the diet was uh, impacting the participants? I know they had some, you know, research going on. Um, I wasn't particularly part of uh, any of that. I don't know if that's still ongoing, but I know they had at least talked about starting it, and they were they were running some. 
Yeah. You know, especially with Dr. Batiste's crowd. Yeah. And how did you get involved with uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine? Yeah, with Physicians Committee, um, there was a couple of a couple of ways. Um, I, I met Natalie Hardcastle, who <laughs> she's just <laughs> awesome. Um, at a, at one of the PCRM conferences, and she's just such a great person to have in your corner. She's mm-hmm. such a great organizer. I mean, she organized this event that I was um, a part of. I also came into it through my friend Shereen Shao. She's another dietitian who's very active in the California area um, around sustainable nutrition. And um, we met at our internship, and you know, we we uh, she actually introduced me to the team for Universal Meals. So we both sit on the board. You know, there's this energy around that all the time. I and mean, then we just, you know, keep going with it. When you find something that you love, that you know can help people, you can't help but to just continue to try to get more involved. And it's like a calling. It's so, it's so fun, you know. And you realize, Maya, too, that it, could, it just makes such a huge difference for people or can, you know, just one piece of, you know, education or you know, information that they latch onto or a person can latch onto. I mean, that's happened to all of us, right? Who are in right. this world too at some point. Um, but I can remember a specific experience actually speaking about that inpatient experience, uh, world where I met Shireen. Um, I was coming into a room to do some Spanish education for diabetes. And, you know, for inpatient RDs, you'll get maybe about five or 10 minutes tops for, you know, just to be with a patient. It's a completely different world than outpatient nutrition, which is why I always, as an educator, already wanted to do outpatient because I knew that I would get that, you know, at least that half an hour, an hour education time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but in inpatient, you have to see a number of patients, you know, you have to continue to keep going through the list. But anyway, what happened is that I went into this patient's room and it's a woman that had diabetes. She's probably, I would say late 50s, um, and I asked her um, if and she was actually, she was about to lose her eyesight. She was about to have a foot amputated. So, you know, and this was as a student to see something like this, you know, it was very, very shocking in person. I mean, you read about it, you know what I mean? But this was probably my first exposure that I could remember that I was like, wow, this is a person that's, you know, the diabetes has gotten this far. And so I asked her, um, has anyone ever given you diabetes education before? That's one of the things they asked. And she said, no, no, like nobody had ever given them nutrition education before. And as is traditional with, with his, you know, Hispanic Latinx families, it was a room full of family in there. It was one of those things where it just like, it, I felt like compelled to do something, you know? So what I did is I, like, I erased the board where it says the doctor's name and the nurse's name. And I took, you know, the thing and I just drew a plate there. And I started teaching, you know, <laughs> I started teaching the whole family about how you organize your plate, you know, because once you get out of this hospital, I mean, there's still something that you can do to be able, you know, because I always ask them, you know, is it, would it be okay with you if I, you know, gave you some tips? Um, and yeah, you know, the whole family, they were so interested and then they were so grateful. And then the, the lady started crying because she said to me, like, why hasn't anyone talked to me about this before? Why didn't anyone talk to me about this? And I'm telling you, Maya, there's some experiences that just like the marcan, you know, like they yeah. just like stay with you. Mm-hmm. And that for me was the one, you know, where I said, I have to help people to not get to this point. You know, I have to help people to really know what they can do to manage the diabetes. And now we know that they can reverse it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
that was that was a turning point for me for sure. I hear stories all the time from my my husband. And that's how we sort of got started with all of this was like, let's tell the patients about this. Let's have this information. But we purchased the, the uh, materials from PCRM. I mean, we are big time fans of PCRM. And we get them started on all of that. At least we try but we have wanted to have like a dietitian work with us at the center because my husband has his vascular center. But it's become a, a little bit difficult and the patients are more advanced. But every time I hear him speak about a case, an amputation or someone that um, had a stroke or just these cases, I feel so desperate. Like I want to go and teach. Um, and I've tried many different ways of sharing this information with people, but I think it also is like who is speaking to them. Like you have a very inviting personality and, uh, I, I can see how people would be drawn to you and they would listen. Can you kind of explain, um, for listeners who might not know the difference, what's the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist? What's interesting about that too, is that the Academy tagged on the nutritionist, the end before we used to be just registered dietitians. And now uh, we're supposed to be registered dietitian nutritionists. Now, a lot of, because of that word nutritionist, because, um, and let me go back and say, a lot of people um, will start to provide nutrition advice that aren't, let's say, board certified. So a, diet, a registered dietitian is, you know, has gone through the schooling in college, you know, has a bachelor of science, has a master's degree in, in uh, science or in public health like I do. I have the MPH with a coordinated wow. program in dietetics. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then we'll be certified, board certified by the Commission of Dietetic Registration. Mm -hmm. And so that is what makes up a registered dietitian. That's the qualifications. Um, with 15, you know, 1,500 hours of practice and all that, you know, so just a lot of schooling. Mm -hmm. And um, a person can call themselves a nutritionist, let's say, if they've taken a certification course. So maybe something that is one of those, you know, six-week courses that happens. I see a lot of an, in Groupon, for example, or I see a lot of an Instagram say, hey, you know, become a, a functional nutrition coach or something like that. So, you know, maybe they're able to provide a general diet, you know, for weight loss, let's say, or something that's worked for clients. Um, and so that's one of the that's one of the reasons why the academy um, really wanted to tack on that end to the rest to the you know so that we know that it's a licensed person who is giving this nutrition advice. And what's hard also, Maya, about the nutrition space is that since we all eat and we all have our our, our opinions <laughs> about food. I mean, I thought that when when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me, you know, because it's something that we all sure are taking. So I will tell you that I have. A a much more respect for registered dietitians because of the work that we do with a friend of ours who who is here in the Dallas area. But when they there's specific questions, we're smart enough to say, we're going to ask our registered dietitian that question because we're not specialized in it, like we're not trained in it. And I never try to give any medical advice. That's one thing I'm very careful about out of respect for the real professionals is that I don't want to give any kind of advice. I would rather check with a, an expert in the field. So um, I see that, and you probably see on social media, all types of questions. And uh, But then that's where I feel like the dietitian, the registered dietitian is the person that should be involved, which is why you're so valuable to physicians, for example, when they're working closely with their patients. Lifestyle medicine, the six pillars, that's why I love practicing lifestyle medicines because it's all at some point connected, you know, mm -hmm. and we all have an awesome role that we can, we can serve in. 
when did you become familiar with lifestyle medicine? So with lifestyle medicine, there's there's definitely also um, some talk I've heard about it within that in that Loma Linda. There's just Adventist roots around the chip program and all of these you know different um, terminology around lifestyle medicine that I, I had heard about you know, but I hadn't actually been engaged into it until I started being part of this program with Bellevue. And I, you know, by the way, I've definitely worked out at the Drayson Center in Loma Linda with some of those centenarians. Like, it's so cute. Dude. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, you're working out and there's someone next to you who, you know, is in their late 70s or early 80s, you know, or 90s. Yeah. And, they're, and they're taking their classes. I love it. It's great. You know, last year I made a trip to Costa Rica, which has been one of my favorite play, uh, countries to visit. And I was not very far from where the centenarians are there in Costa Rica. So I had just walked to the beach just to check things out. And I was walking back when I see this elderly man. I only knew he was older because of his face. <laughs> But the man was like hiking, looking for his dog. He had walked like 10 miles looking for his dog. He knew the people because clearly he roams the area back and forth. And so he said, well, I'll walk you back. He must have been like between 70 and 80. I can't tell. As we were walking, I'm, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm walking with someone from this blue zone. He doesn't even know that he's part of what we talk about all the time. Okay, so yes, I have questions about your SMART goals and that come from lifestyle medicine, but they're probably also part of your training as a dietitian, right? Yes. So we do have training around um, in patient interview. Um, I I actually got a lot of amazing training at Kaiser Prudent. I have to give them credit for that because they, you know, when the motivational interviewing, motivational interviewing, you know, is such an awesome way to, to get people to really, or to empower people. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners what that means, the motivational interviewing? So with motivational interviewing, you're really, the, you're, the patient is, telling you, for example, you know, this is, my, here's my barriers, and, you know, and you're essentially saying, so I hear you saying that this, you know, is something that is there for you. So you're, it's kind of like you're telling them back, you know, you're mirroring what they, that they say. So it's because sometimes when you listen to yourself saying something, then you start to recognize, okay, maybe this isn't hmm, such a big barrier as I thought it was. And then from there, we start the really this exchange back and forth of, you know, paraphrasing or summarizing or finding solutions for you, kind of extrapolating them from you, like you're coming up with them. That makes sense. Rather than them putting their, their entire health in your hands, it becomes sort of like this partnership that they become aware that, oh, I can play a role in it too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which so, is what's, what's also yeah. just really cool about that say someone comes to you and they want to create a change you help them develop a plan that's doable and obtainable right yes and and one of the things that i learned in, in one of my internships actually my sports nutrition one you know when when patients come to me and we're talking about change right change can be this word that's that can be intimidating as human beings we're creatures of habit you know it can be it can bring about trepidation this word change sometimes so i, I tell my patients okay so we're going to use the power of words because here's my English, right? He's like, we're going to use this power of words and we're going to use the word upgrade instead of change. So you're gonna, we're going to do a lifestyle upgrade here. So you're going to be Maya 2.0 because when you upgrade something, right, you don't want to downgrade back like your phone. You don't want to get back down to that other model. You want to keep going up. You want to keep upgrading because now you see, right? You see that it's so good and, and so you just keep going up. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it, but the word change can mean like there's something wrong with you, so therefore you need to change. So Lily, can you kind of share with us some uh, common myths, nutritional myths that you hear from patients that you work with? As you know, there's always the confusion around carbs, right? That's always probably, that's probably the biggest thing that, that we hear all the time is, you know, differentiating between what is a, a, a good carb and, you know, a bad carb or, you know, people staying away from carbs altogether, you know, kind of grouping the, the jelly beans with the beans, you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, so really those are the things uh, that I still find myself often, even to my friends speaking about. You know, but I, but I never offer advice unless people ask me. So I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you know, so, I don't know. But no, car- carbs is definitely one of the, um, the things that I hear often um, that we need to cut them in order to lose weight. Um, and specifically something like oatmeal is, is a myth that I've heard that people, a lot of people think that they gain weight eating oatmeal. Wow. I know. It's That's really interesting. Yeah, so I've heard that a lot, um, and I've heard that a lot in the Hispanic community, actually, people coming in and telling me, but I thought, like, eating oatmeal makes me gain weight. Um, oatmeal, I always use it as my secret weapon, as you saw in, <laughs> in my presentation. I mean, uh, it's, it's very inexpensive. It's almost always available. Um, so versatile. Like, okay. So when you go to a hotel back when we were traveling, you know, and you're looking at, at Hotels always serving oatmeal. They have a hot bar. And nowadays with instant, I mean, people are making it healthier. Like versatile too. I mean, you can make savory oats, overnight oats, hot oats. I mean, yeah. this guy's limit with oats, you know. And there's so much fiber and, and protein and, and good carbs, <laughs> right? That it's yeah. just, a, that's why I call it the secret weapon. I feel like I always have to tell my mom that it's still okay to eat tortillas. Oh, yeah, that's another one, definitely. Like, what do you think about tortillas? So I love corn tortillas. Um, they're less processed and have more fiber than, um, and, than our whole wheat tortillas. Even though like in, in terms of white versus whole wheat, of course, I would prefer the whole wheat. But you do have to look at the package because a lot of times they can even come with um, some added ingredients that are undesirable added <laughs> ingredients, you know, like maybe a lot of extra sodium. Um, now that, you know, trans fats should be phased out. Um, I mean, they'll still, they still might have oil, but they used to have, some of the brands used to have trans fats in them. But with corn, with corn tortillas, you very often only get like three or four you know, ingredients in it. And plus, they last a heck of a lot longer because flour will go rancid, you know, a lot quicker. So as you were learning all the, the different types of foods that are part of the whole food plant-based diet, did you then say, hey, you know, we've been eating this my entire life. Like I grew up eating beans and rice and bananas and all that good stuff. Right. So that's one of the things that um, I love about growing up being Peruvian because there's so much diversity of plants in that, mm-hmm. that diet that I often, you know, my brother would probably kill me for saying this, but he often, he often tells me, you know, something like, well, you know, don't you want to preserve your roots? And, you know, you want to like eat the food of, of Peru and I said, I, I am, because you know, they're referring to like lomo saltado and the chicken and all that stuff. And I say to him, well, I am. I'm eating quinoa and potatoes, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> asparagus. There's so many different things that come from Peru that, you know, that I, I value and honor. So, of course, there's always ways to do that. I'm assuming that the way that you work with people is that you get them to transition, to add in. It's always about addition versus subtraction, you know, because when you're thinking about those things, if that's the, that's the quickest way to give up. And, and that also includes 
um, you know, that crowding out, uh, that the whole, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're still eating chicken, let's say, um, but you're eating a less, a smaller portion of it. And now you're including some beans and now you include, you know, these vegetables. And now, so, you know, it depends where you're at for a person. And I will start out wherever you are at. So it's just all about, um, everybody has a different, um, timeline, transition timeline. And there's a patient that I even worked with who could not let go of whole milk. You know, that was just something that this person's used to. So how do we start to shift those habits? Okay, so I find a milk, a plant milk that has a similar texture, you know, a similar weight. Because, you know, whole milk has a different, and that's, I guess, also my advantage is that I've, I've been in this world. I've, you know, I used to drink whole milk. I used to eat hamburgers, hot dogs. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, so I just feel like, you know, I have that memory of all the stuff that I eat. So I can tell people, okay, the thing to remember is that how we're attached to foods, Maya, what I tell my patients is always like it's 80% here and 20% here. So this is the thing we have to overcome, you know, because since we're regenerating our taste buds every two to three weeks, your body is going to help you to, to really take in all of those foods that are good for you. So like think about a time when you tried a food that, you know, like years ago, you tried a food and you're like, oh no, no this is not very good, right? But then you came back to it months later, years later, and you said, hmm, this actually is not that bad. That's happened to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And that's evidence that that's your body working with your taste buds, just changing, you know, turning over. So, and that's why I tell my patients, just give this, give this a shot, you know, and then try it again and then reintroduce. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like I've had patients who can't, like they start out not, not loving vegetables at all or not wanting to have anything to do with them. To, I can't eat a meal without. I even notice that change in my own self that I don't crave all that other stuff that I once craved. What do you see for yourself? Do you have any more of these virtual programs that you'll be part of? I'm scheduled to be on Chef AJ's show. When is that? November 1st at 11 oh, a.m. Eastern. That's coming up. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay, I'll be watching because I watch every time she goes live. Unless I'm interviewing, I'm watching Chef AJ. <laughs> She's so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to be on that next and a little nervous, but uh, it's- she's so laid back, though. That's she makes it so I mean, just from what I see, she just makes everybody feel so relaxed and easygoing. And you're going to do a food demo. Any idea what you're going to prepare? Definitely going to go with Peruvian theme. You know, I talked to her, I had talked to her about bringing in some kind of potato, you know, dish, uh, whether it's Papa La Bancaina, uh, vegan style, or I, I like this sweet potato dessert that my mom used to make us when we were kids. Something uh-huh. that was really, atta- you know, like in in the Peruvian roots, but easy to make and having to do with potatoes. You know, she loves potatoes and yeah. sweet potatoes, so, you know, <laughs> and nice. maybe lima beans. I know that like lima beans are one of my favorite beans, Maya, and I don't see a lot of people eating them. I will agree with you that for for whatever reason, I don't eat enough lima beans. And they're so good for you. And they're just delicious, you know, and I just grew up eating them. So I think that's actually, I think that's what I should go with. Do you contribute to PCRM's recipes at all? Uh, I have not. I have not. You should. You should do the lima bean one. Yeah, I'm going to work with my mom, actually. So how can people learn more about you? So I am working on a website. Okay. I do have a social media. I do have an Instagram account. So that's definitely something that people can tune into. Um, it's that's Lily L I L Y C underscore R D. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? 
If you are thinking about trying out a plant-based diet, um, I am going to definitely encourage you to just start one step at a time, you know, and it's all about just including trying out a new vegetable at the farmer's market. Farmer's markets are so awesome, you know, during this time of year. Um, they're awesome, you know, whenever they're on, but trying out a new vegetable this week, um, trying out, swapping out the, a white rice, you know, if you go out to, you know, Thai food, for example, ask for the brown rice instead of the, the, the white rice or, or make it at home. Something small, right? And start this week and, you know, just keep the, keep the, keep the upgrades coming. Thank you so much, Lili Correa, for being on our show today. Thank you so much for having me, Maya. Great. Super fun been listening to the plant-based dfw podcast show if you like our content please like share and leave a review our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community